I genuinely believe that the number one place to start when we're having a sales conversation is around mindset. If you think sales is yuck, if you think sales is car, use car salesman, then you're not going to do it. And a lot of our clients, actually a huge proportion of our clients are professionals who are customer facing. They can therefore influence the sales, but they're not in a sales title or sales role per se. Hi, this is Julie Hyde. Thanks for joining me on Making Account, a podcast dedicated to inspiring leaders and business owners to be even better leaders, to create a great culture, empower their people, and be more productive. So let's get into it. Abby White is my awesome guest today. Abby is the founder of Sales Redefined and one of Australia's most dynamic sales experts. With over 15 years experience in sales and sales leadership, Abby's proven track record includes assisting the delivery of over 500 million in sales across a range of industries. Abby's modern approaches to high-performance sales and her tried and tested authenticity-based sales formula have helped supercharge the performance and profits of boutique Australian businesses through to large multinationals. It's her approach that really resonated with me and it just makes complete sense. Abby is an expert in creating profound shifts in the performance of sales professionals. She is high energy and super passionate and is certainly someone who walks their talk, which is something I really admire. So my chat with Abby covers quite a lot, including Abby's approach to sales and how it benefits her clients, the shifts and the opportunities since COVID-19 for businesses, why having skin in the game is a real game changer, and Abby's tips for managing busy. I know you're going to love this. Grab a pen and paper because Abby shares a lot of pragmatic advice that you can implement immediately. Enjoy. Abby, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Really, really excited to be here. Thank you. Yes, I'm very much looking forward to um, getting to know you better and understanding your whole philosophy around sales, which I think is really energizing, particularly in the world that we're living in at the moment. So I might just jump straight into it. Go for it. Amazing. So I'd love you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and how you've landed to where you are today. Yeah, so I fell into sales by accident. It was not by design. I don't think anyone when they're younger or they're at uni go, oh, I'm going to go into sales. (laughs) It's not even really regarded by many people as a profession, which is a whole other topic. But um, I ended up at university when I was studying business um, back home in the UK. Um, We had to do a placement year at university and I ended up getting my placement year at IBM. And I wanted to go into marketing. I was dead set that marketing was what I wanted to do and what I wanted to be when I grew up. Um, But they didn't have any roles in marketing. And I ended up landing a role in sales operations, which I didn't really quite understand what that was. Um, And just by working day in, day out with some of the sales teams at IBM, I just sort of got um, closer and closer to what was going on from a sales perspective, what they were doing, what sales was, what it wasn't. And all of the sales guys kept on saying to me, oh, Abby, you'd be great in sales. And at first I was almost half offended because I was like, what does that say about me? Am I cheesy? Am I too loud? I mean, obviously I am, but you know, what does that say? And I kind of was like, oh no, I couldn't do that. You know, I, I couldn't be in sales. Um, and I had this real misperception of what sales was. And long story short, I ended up shadowing a lot of the sales guys and going to their client meetings. I was sort of bribing all of them to take me along to client meetings so I could get a better understanding of it. 
And the more I understood it, and, you know, I was very, very fortunate to be alongside what I consider some of the world's best salespeople and had access to, you know, huge amount of resources and training and experience. Um, I just realized it wasn't what I thought it was and actually just fell in love with sales. Um, So I ended up going back into IBM post uni on their grad scheme in sales. Um, Was so fortunate to be mentored by some of their best and they have a really, really in-depth sales school program, mentoring program. Um, Went on to spend, blimey, nearly eight odd years in sales with IBM in various different capacities. Um, and then a role, I decided I wanted to move overseas because I'd grown up as a kid in all different countries and I just had that bug that I wanted to get back overseas and was looking at different places. And IBM had a global relocation program at the time. Um, and there was roles in all different countries. And then I saw Australia. I was like, ooh, sunshine, <laughs> beaches, that would be great. Um, so sort of had my heart set on Australia, I thought it was easier move to do sort of at the time as a single girl and, you know, speaking the language and so on. And I wanted to also make my next career move into sales management. Um, so I ended up becoming um, national sales manager for a particular brand um, within IBM, about $100 million business and moving over to Australia six weeks later to run that business. Um, and did that sort of leading their sales team for sort of nearly two years until the, the business got sold off and divested um, to another company. And I went with that that move for a couple months and then went, you know what, I've been in corporate nearly 10 years. Um, I just wanted to do my own thing. I had this itching that I really, really wanted to go and start my own business and just do my own thing. Um, so I ended up joining a friend of mine um, and we had a sales consultancy business together for two years. Um, And then once I sort of made the decision that I just still had that itching that I wanted to go my own way, I wanted to do my own thing, I left that partnership and went completely out on my own. Um, So yeah, long waffling way of sort of saying it it really hasn't necessarily been by design, it's more been by accident. Um, Mm. And going out on my own has just been around following that passion of, you know, the business is called Sales Redefined because the passion has been around redefining that perception of sales, breaking down these barriers, um, this belief that you have to be a, you know, 50 year old used car salesman and just really trying to change that perception. And that's probably where sort of my journey has, that's probably been the consistent part of my journey. Yeah. Awesome. So were you a a budding little entrepreneur when you were a little girl? No, see, this always annoys me because I don't have the lemonade stand story, which really (laughs) annoys me. Um, I wish I did. I was always driven. So I've always worked. Mm. I've always had a job. I've always been really, nah, I'm not going to take money from my parents. Well, yeah, of course I'll take some money from my parents, but I, you know, I was always like, I'm going to go get my own job. I'm going to pay some of my own way. Yeah. So I guess I've been determined. Mm. Um, but I don't think I did necessarily what you hear some people talking about where, you know, they were 10 and they had their own little business. I think for me, part of the change probably came from some of who I was surrounding myself with. So the the guy I mentioned before, Dan, who was my business partner at the time, you know, he was one of my very close friends. We'd known each other since I was 18. And I sort of had watched him make the transition from corporate to his own business. There was other people mm. in my circle, in my network who were starting to do their own thing. And I think I just... Um, I got to a point with corporate where I just was ready for a change after nearly 10 years. And I just wanted to go my own way. And I just had that itching really. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you're not alone. I don't have a lemonade stand story either. So (laughs) it definitely wasn't something I wanted to be when I was little. I wanted to be a vet. Tell us a little bit more about your business because you touched on it before. 
sales can still have a bit of a stigma to it. <laughs> and where you mentioned, okay, am I cheesy? Is this why people think I'm good at sales? Um, I think the whole sales concept can still um, have a bit of a hangover from the 80s and 90s attached to it. But I love your whole sales philosophy around sales education. So can you, you tell us a little bit more about your business and your philosophy and, and how you're yeah. changing mindset there? Yeah, for me, I'm really obsessed with high performance and that can be high performance in terms of an athlete, that can be in terms of um, successful entrepreneurs or business leaders. I'm just a, quite obsessive about that sort of stuff and reading and learning and understanding. And I like translating that into um, sales in a sales environment. So for us, what's quite interesting is if you look at our customers who we work with, we're really interested in working with people who want to go get, they want to get results. They want to, they're already quite successful um, and they want to grow even further, but they're not quite sure how you get from A to B. Or maybe they've had a really high degree of success up until now, but it needs a step change to go into that hyper growth. So mm. we're, we're very much working with ambitious businesses. And the way we're approaching it is by coming for its sales from a very authentic place. Now, that's kind of quite an overused word now. So it's kind of a bit of a double edged sword using that word. Um, but it's about going, you know. If I'm providing value, if my product or service is genuinely helping people, it's genuinely delivering strong outcomes. And if I'm genuinely being really, really customer centric, how do I drive sales by doing more of that and helping mm. more people in that capacity? Um, and so it's very much coming from that place where I also believe you have to adapt sales to people's own styles and comfort zones. You know, if I provided 10 people a, a, a script and said, right, this is what we're going to say. This is what we're going to do. No one will do it because it doesn't sound like you. It doesn't feel like you. You don't talk like me. And so mm. I like um, work, working with the team. We like providing people with ways that they can approach sales and still feel true to themselves and true to their brand. So they can adapt that and put their in their own words. They can still follow the framework and the process. Um, so that they've got the critical steps for success and they can achieve that hyper growth, but they can do it in a way that feels organic to them. And mm. so we're really just trying to remove that salesiness and that perception of salesy from the equation. And I think the final part of that is also just changing mindsets. I genuinely believe that the number one place to start when we're having a sales conversation is around mindset. If you think sales is yuck, if you think sales is car, use car salesman, then you're not going to do it. And a lot of our clients, actually a huge proportion of our clients are professionals who are customer facing. They can therefore influence the sales, but they're not in a sales title or sales role per se. So, for example, um, consultants, lawyers, accountants, you know, people like that. Um, but they are in the best possible in, uh, position to influence the sale. So with them, it's about understanding, well, how can you provide exceptional customer service? How can you provide more value? How can we go through these stepping stones of a sales process from a very customer-centric and organic and natural way? And so that's sort of what how we come at it because then people are going to jump on board. If I say to a bunch of lawyers, hey, I want you to sell more, it's just not going to work because the first thing they're going to tell me is yuck. And secondly, that's not my job. That's not my role. Um, so I guess sort of netting that all back together, really what our interest in is in is ambitious driven um, businesses who want to go places and for us helping them come at that with a high growth, um, authentic and just sort of real, you know, um, real proven methodologies to help them to get from A to B. 
Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And I know that you bring in a lot of um, neuroscience and psychology to mm. your, um, I suppose, your philosophy as well. Like you were saying, you're really interested in that high performance. So obviously, um, businesses and organisations who would love to think of themselves in that way are going to be very much attracted to you. Interesting comments that you said, which I hear so often, which is around, okay, sales is not my job, it's not my role, which I think Mm. is a really interesting uh, mindset to have because even when we're building relationships with clients, that's still effectively we're, we're selling to them, we're selling ourselves to them in terms of building that relationship. Probably not explaining yeah. myself very well there, but. No, I agree. I personally believe everyone is in sales. Now, mm. I would say that, but I think if you look at organizations, um, some of the your best salespeople are actually not in a sales you know, capacity per se. Um, so, for example, we work with quite a lot of IT organizations and you might have a technical team, for example, a pre-sales team and the sort of engineers and technicians and guys like that. And they're not in a sales capacity per se, but really they are. And actually they are trusted by the customer. They are 100% trusted. They have the in and out conversation with the customer. So they are in the best possible position to influence that sale. Now, a lot of the time what's holding them back when I talk to them around, well, why didn't you have that conversation? A lot of the time it's like, well, I didn't want to seem salesy. I didn't want them to think I was selling at them and they didn't want to break that trust. So a lot of the time I'll, I'll, um, I'll position it to them and say, well, hang on. So let's just say you've spotted in a client's environment something that's potentially a risk or something that they could do better and you haven't said anything. Do you think that's doing the best thing by your customer? And so it's just changing the mindset and to show that actually by doing it, you're doing the right thing by the customer. You're actually adding value in that conversation because actually by not saying anything, when you've just spotted potentially an error or something they could do better or a weakness or an opportunity, whatever it might be, you've actually just actually denied them the whole entire opportunity to take advantage of your knowledge and your insights. Mm. So that's why we always start from that mindset piece. And like you touched on, you know, I've done um, a diploma in positive psychology. I've done my emotional intelligence certifications. And so we just weave that in there because I actually think you can have, you can have the fanciest, best um, sales strategy, but if nobody is bought into it and everyone's mindset is that sales is yuck, it's just not going to work. Absolutely. And I think it can be a shift from upper level, upper level management around that too, because people talk business development in terms of pure sales. But I think the whole relationship building and the sale has to come in and really sort of meld together um, quite cohesively. Uh, and it, it, you're going to get the sale out of building that relationship but through being authentic and being true to who you are um by by adding value to the client absolutely and sometimes it's the people you least expect sometimes the receptionist Mm. knows the person's coffee's order their kid's name what they do like what they don't like are they late are they early you know and and so sometimes it's that's why i think sales is a team game sales Mm. isn't just for the sales team um for example at the moment we're seeing the best outcomes we're seeing on projects is where sales and marketing come together and it's this, I love the word marketing at the moment. I wish I came up with it, but I didn't. Um, and so that's why I think sales is a team sport and it's never going to be just down to sales. Everybody has a part to play in contributing to sales of an organization. And ultimately sales is the lifeline of our business, of any business. 
And so, you know, you want your business to grow, you want to be at an organization where it's thriving and doing well, then that's everyone's responsibility, in my opinion. And so whenever we work with people, we try and show show how everyone can contribute to that project, even if it is the PA. You know, it, everybody can contribute. Absolutely, because the sales got to count, right? So we've got to be um, providing amazing service and retaining the business that we've got so that the sales that are coming through are counting towards growing the business or organisation. So, yeah, absolutely, totally agree with that. It's definitely a team sport. So I, the world has shifted somewhat in the last couple of months, uh, turned on its head, so to speak. What are the shifts that you're seeing in the sales space at the moment? Like where there, you know, we were talking about before, um, you know, there's been uh, a lot of adversity that's come out of this. But there's also a lot of that opportunity um, for others. So what, what, are the, what are the really big shifts that you're seeing in this space at the moment? Yeah, so look, I agree. I think it's been a real roller coaster swing some roundabouts time. Um, I think, again, it, some of it's come back to mindset. I think some of the people who have really embraced this period of change and gone, okay, uh, how do we, you know, most overused word in 2020, how do we pivot? How do we take advantage of this opportunity and and find the silver lining in what's happened? Um, those are the organisations that we're seeing coming out of this, um, you know, doing really well or bouncing back even quicker. Um, I think gyms are a great example of that. You know, some gyms have just closed and gone, well, you know, we're closed. Yeah. And other gyms have gone, awesome, we're doing an online course. And they've actually, we know a gym, um, in our network that's done better through COVID by mm. providing that online course. Mm. So I guess the first part of sort of answering your question, because I think there's a few different um, fronts to this, is we're doing a real um, process at the moment internally with ourselves, but also with clients going, what do we want to stop doing? Mm. What do we want to start doing? And what do we want to keep doing? So it's that stop, start, continue game. Yeah. And looking at going, okay, so stick with our gyms example. If I was a gym right now, I would absolutely keep that online course and I would have it as a light, you know, lower um, level entry offering um, for some people who might have lost their job and might not be able to afford their full gym membership. Or maybe they're enjoying working out from home because they've got kids and it's easier for them to be able to do it and it's more accessible. Um, so as an example, that gym might choose to keep that as another just additional step on their value ladder and an additional offering. And so I think it's really now taking a checkpoint and going, OK, as we start to come into FY21, what do we want to keep that's come out of COVID? An example in our business is we've just started working with a client in the UK because we're all working on Zoom. And so no one actually really cares where you are. Now, I previously was not working with clients in Zoom. I was working very much Australia and New Zealand wide. Mm. And actually, we've just removed some of our geographic boundaries and therefore changed our thinking to go, hang on a sec, when we're talking about who we want to work with, we've just completely just ditched that geographic boundary now. And actually, hang on, there's no reason why we can't operate globally. And so, you know, just challenging your own thinking. Um, there's a lot of organizations now doing virtual events and webinars, and we're helping a lot of people with webinars. Now, there's some really, really interesting reasons why actually even post-COVID webinars make sense as a sales strategy and is a really, really cost-effective way to go and can actually provide some fantastic leads to your organization. So I think in answer to, to your question, the first step for me is just stop, step back and do that assessment mm. of the stop, start, keep doing to go, 
out of this situation, what are we going, oh my gosh, never again. And like, thank God when that passes, what are we keeping? So for example, I'm keeping the webinars, are we keeping the light gym membership option? And then keep doing is also around like what's working really, really well right now that we just want to double down into. So for example, we've started doing more LinkedIn recently and that's working really, really well for us. So we want to keep doing that. Um, so I think just taking that checkpoint to look at how do we want to come out of COVID and what changes has that meant for our business, I think is sort of one of the first things that's really, really important. Mm. Um, I think the other thing that's really important during this time is client experience. And what I mean by that is so much of sales now, if you look at the all of the research around the top um, performing sales organizations globally, they're now being measured very much on client experience as opposed to traditional measures of sales and revenue. Mm. And so what's interesting right now is I think we will remember during this time um, who stuck by us, who didn't, what was the client experience, what was the understanding, what was the empathy. And this kind of bleeds into the emotional intelligence part that I think is a real opportunity for sales teams right now. And so I think the client experience piece is really, really key of how are we supporting our customers during this time, which will buy us huge amounts of loyalty um, from our customer base, really protect our customer base and then grow them moving forward. You know, and as we know, it's easier to grow your existing client base than to go out and win new ones. So I think protecting your base and working on that client experience is just huge. Um, and the final sort of piece I touched on in that is sort of around the emotional intelligence piece. I think that is really important right now. I think for sales teams, many sales teams are feeling deflated. They're feeling demotivated. A lot of them aren't earning their commission that they're used to earning. Um, and so that presents challenges. So how am I regulating my own emotions to make sure that my own agenda of hitting my target, my commission, my bonus is not actually um, overriding my emotions and therefore how I come across to my customers and I end up coming across as desperate or pushy and actually damaging the relationship um, because of that. And likewise, how am I leading with empathy with the client? That client we're working with might have just been put on reduced hours. They might have just had a mandatory pay cut. Their partner might have just been made redundant. They might be like us and just had a kid at home during COVID and they're going stir crazy with a child at home. You know, so it's that it's yeah. that level of what was once considered such a soft skill is now actually, I think, in these times, um, really separating those high performance teams and those that aren't. So there's, there's probably about 10,000 things I can actually talk to you about on, on this. But I think those are some of the key ones is taking the time to reflect, making yeah. sure customer experience is incredible and really being supportive with your clients and your sales team, having that emotional intelligence piece to, to really um, lead with empathy with their clients. Mm, yeah. Oh, I there's so much I could delve into there. That That's such good advice. And um, I think what you're saying in terms of really supporting the client right now, so, you know, how are they going to remember you, that you were there and you were adding value and that you were empathetic? I think what you mentioned around the webinars, I think that's a really great forum for businesses to stay top of mind with their clients to add value, to say, I'm here, I'm supporting you, what do you need from us, you know, whatever that looks like. Um, and it's a non-threatening as well. So I think that's a really good um, avenue for businesses. And I know you run a webinar about that too. So you run a webinar about running really effective webinars because... Um, we call it internally the webinar webinar. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're going to do something, you know, you do it well. So um, there's lots of tips that Abby can um, um, add for you in terms of doing that. But um, 
I think where you say around the whole emotional intelligence piece, that's really critical now. And it is called a soft skill, as you say, but I think it's a critical skill now. 100%. I mean, the World Economic Forum um, voted that it was one of the top 10 criteria um, that people were going to be recruiting against um, this year. And when you start looking through some of the high performance statistics, actually a huge proportion of them fall under emotional intelligence. Mm. And whilst it might still be considered a soft skill, the, there is enough research, scientific evidence, case studies and so on of it actually being hard in terms of facts mm. um, and the amount of sales teams that have invested in this space and then delivered a really, really strong ROI. Um, is it is incredible. So I think there's, you know, we've got done a, also our own research that we've looked into and gathered sort of world leading um, research. And there's just so much there to, to, to support it that now I don't even think it's a question. I think the question is now how are you going to apply emotional intelligence into your team, be it sales team or not, it's your teams. Um, and actually, that to me is now the question. I think the evidence is there. Um, it's, it's just now about acting on it, because I, I think that it's just now not even nice to have. It's an essential. Yeah, I totally agree. So how I'm sure you will have heard this um, before in that salespeople at the moment or sort of what I'm hearing from my circles is that um, people are believing and it's not just salespeople. It, it's, um, you know, entrepreneurs, whoever, you know, anyone is saying that they don't believe that people have an appetite to buy at the moment given what's happening out there. So how can we overcome this mindset? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, I sound a bit like a broken record, but I think starting off with that is mindset because right now Mm. if you believe that there's no opportunity there, it's done, we're cooked, then there won't be, you know. (laughs) It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So I think the Mm. first thing is actually taking yourself out of that mindset and going, okay, let's find the opportunity right now. Um, and actually it might not be where it was yesterday. So for example, we are, when we're redefining our, our own sales, actually the opportunity is emerging in different places. Like I just said to you, we just started working with someone in the UK. We mm. started focusing on webinars. So the opportunity has changed, but it's still there because we're just adapting to what the market is now asking of us and what opportunities are emerging out of this situation. So that's the lens that I think we have to look at it through. Um, I think it then begs other questions. If you, if you therefore believe that there is less opportunity on the table there then becomes a focus for me on okay well any opportunity we do get we therefore have to make that a massive success it has to convert and so therefore how can we actually strengthen up some of our sales process to make sure that the opportunity we are getting we're actually successfully converting Mm. I think it comes back again to you know it's 50 to 60 um, percent easier to sell to an existing client than win a new client it's five times more cost effective so it then comes back to going actually what are the new um, needs and requirements that are emerging through this from our existing customers that we can help with we just did a survey um, probably about three weeks ago out to our customers to try and then um, beyond the survey then spoke to some people really in depth and did some of the research and we've got a couple of clients we're going through that process with at the moment for them too so I think it's it's again that reset button to go let's take a step back understand what the new opportunities are that are emerging and let's adapt to that because like I said it just might look a little bit different to how it did yesterday but it will still be there I mean I I am so the one like COVID has been a headache from many perspectives but I've actually been really 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 inspired by watching the people who have gone oh wow there's an opportunity over here let's go you know yeah. one of our clients was doing candles and hand soaps um 
they weren't doing hand sanitizer. And in the space of 48 hours, they started doing hand sanitizer and they've now sold thousands. Mm. Um, you know, doctors and, and all the sort of um, healthcare professionals that suddenly overnight are doing telehealth. Um, you know, there's so many different inspiring stories out there to show that people are actually making the most of this. And I think what's interesting for me as well is if you look back at the um, GFC, you know, I was working in London during the GFC, you look at that and you go, actually, opportunity does come through these times because it's those people who have the right mindset. They find the silver lining and they double down into it. Those people are going to do really, really, really well. Like history tells us that. That's not my opinion. That's history. Um, and you look at what came out of the GFC of companies like Airbnb and Slack and Uber yeah. and some of those great innovations came out of that time. And so I think that that's what's going to happen is we'll see people start to do things differently or smarter or more creative or quicker or more efficient or whatever it is. And some of those innovations and technologies are going to come out of this time. And I want to have my eyes open and be on the front foot for that. Mm. Um, and so that's where I think, again, leading with mindset. Um, and then secondly, speaking to your customers to understand how else you can help them and then changing your products or services. We've just had to really completely throw out half of our products and services, rip them up and relaunch them. And so that's kind of the way that we're approaching this. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And um, it's a really good point you make about the GFC because one thing that was drummed into us in my corporate days was you've got to make it easy for clients to buy from you. A, you know, like your, your Ubers, like it's just really easy to buy from them um, and to get that service. So because you talk about the, the value ladder and the steps that you go through on that, um, the value ladder to, you know, get clients, um, potential clients interest. But if it's hard for them to understand how to take the next step, you might as well, you know, sort of not have done it at all. If they've really got to make an effort, they're probably not going to make that effort. I have got the best example ever for you from this morning. So this is a personal example from the morning, but I'll, I'll apply it to business as well. So just bear with me on this crazy story. <laughs> so my little one um, is not sleeping at the moment and it's very painful. And we've been recommended so many different sleep consultants. And I've looked at all these different sleep consultants and they're like really expensive. Some of them are like that 1,500 bucks or whatever. And I'm looking at them going, yeah, I don't want to pay that money if it's not going to work and you hear such mixed reviews, blah, blah, blah. So point being, I don't buy because I don't have confidence that I'm going to get the outcome and I'm not necessarily confident that I'm going to be in alignment around the approach, right? Mm. And so therefore I don't buy, no sale. However, we got recommended someone this morning um, who I ended up speaking to who said, you do not pay a dollar until your child is sleeping through. Now tell me a sleep deprived mother who is not going to go sign me up <laughs> when someone says you do not pay a dollar until your child sleeps through because I am that confident that I can do this. So there's a couple of things that I want to reference on why that is now working. Firstly, she's got skin in the game. We're both yeah. in this together that this kid is going to sleep through. Secondly, she is giving me a guaranteed outcome. Yeah. And so I, to be honest, I'd pay her like loads more than what we've agreed at the end if, because there's a guaranteed outcome. Um, and so in terms of that value ladder that you talk to in the sales process, she has just removed pretty much most of my objections that I could possibly have 
Mm. by giving me a guaranteed outcome, skin in the game, and so on. She also has all the credibility to back it up. She's done this certification, that certification, blah, 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 blah. She's, you know, done it through with psychologists and pediatricians and whatever. So credibility. And so you go through that. And I was looking at it with my sales hat on going, that is just the perfect example of how to get a sale. And when I said to her, okay, so how do I start working with you? She said, we just book in our first appointment, no deposit, no um, anything. We just start working together. So if I translate that to a business environment, because there might be people going, okay, Abby, that's fine for your sleep consultant, but what about in business? An example of that that um, we used to do at IBM was we used to have a program called Try Before You Buy. So at one point I was in the hardware division. So you've got you know hardware and infrastructure that's worth thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars. You're not just going to go, yeah, 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 give it a try. Let's know if it works when it's thousands mm. of dollars worth of investment. And so we would have a contract with the client to go, okay, we're that confident that this is going to work. You test it, you try it. Here's what we agree is the definition of success. Here's the outcome we're all striving towards. If we deliver on A, B, C, and D, then you will buy the infrastructure and you'll then then have it. And so again, the same concept applies. There is a massive um, amount of weight of skin and game, putting your money where your mouth is and agreeing, really importantly, agreeing what's the definition of success. Mm. Um, because again, one of my first questions to a sleep consultant is, you know, what do you define as sleeping through? You know, if that's midnight until 4am, that is not sleeping through. And for how long? You know, so I had all those questions. Yeah. So it's no different with the sleep consultant or IBM. Both of them are the same. And so that's where I think, for example, people, um, if customer confidence at this point in time as we're coming out of COVID is dropping, how can we do things like this around our, our offerings to lower the barriers of resistance increase the confidence and therefore increase our conversion so i think stuff like that right now is pretty cool and you've got to define it right i'm not going to say hey i'll quadruple your sales and i'll guarantee it because what if you don't do anything that i say you Mm. know and you just ignore all of my advice then that's 100 percent risk on me so in my opinion it has to be shared risk we're both putting you know we're both getting committed and we're both putting skin in the game on this to agree the mutual outcome. I'll do this. You'll do that. This is what we're agreeing. Mm. So I think there's some really good opportunity around that sort of um, construct right now of um, how you package your service services and offerings. Mm. Yeah. Great. Great story. Gosh, I, I was even in. I don't have a child who's just not sleeping. I'm just like, yes, I'm in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like you say, when, when there's skin in the game, it just makes such a difference. So as a mom, as an entrepreneur, as a partner um, and everything else that comes with your life, how do you manage busy and how do you look after yourself? Great question. Um, so I am a massive, massive personal development junkie and fan and I really have had to adapt that since having a kid. Um, I can't be as selfish as I used to be. Um, I do agree with you uh, wholeheartedly around um, busy. And um, what is interesting for me is when I did my diploma in positive psychology, how much of the reframing there was that came with that. And, you know, reframing even just from your language you were using. So not saying I'm busy, but saying actually that's not a priority right now. Um, So I think there's a huge amount that comes with that. 
Um, for me, I've had to try and be kind to myself because I feel at the moment, you know, where I've got business, baby, everything sort of all going off. I have to try and not, you know, beat, beat myself up for that. And I'm not, you know, saying that I've got that down pat and nailed, but I, I certainly try. Um, I think the other thing I'm trying to learn is micro self-care. So, for example, um, if I just can do a 10 minute yoga workout rather than the 60 minute yoga workout that I used to do, um, if I can go to bed and read for 15 minutes rather than reading for an hour. Um, I love running and I think exercise is so important mm. um, in terms of our self-care and our well-being. And I go running with a friend every Saturday morning. And so I get the social aspect, I get the physical aspect. Um, so I am massive on self-care and personal development. Um, but because like I said, I, I have got a very, very, very busy uh, toddler at the moment who is very demanding. It's just looking for those pockets. Like I said, I will absolutely make sure I carve out a little bit of time to read or a little bit of time to run or a little bit of something else. And sort of I've had to adjust from the fact that it might not be the hour that it was. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love the micro self-care. I think that's awesome. Like you say, you, you make it work. So, and, um, you know, you do make that 10 minutes or that 15 minutes reading time. It's the priority for you. So Yeah, I think the one thing that's been really good for me, um, I say the one thing out of having a kid. <laughs> that sounds awful. Okay, let's say two things. I've had the kid, but he, he's lovely. But the other thing that's been really good is I think it's actually by being busier, let's go with that word for a second and just, yeah. just follow it through for a second by being busier and having more on my plate. Mm. It's actually forced me to actually have to make the decisions to say, well, actually, no, I can't do that night out or I don't want to do that night out yeah. or that's not yeah. a priority for me right now. Or yeah. no, I can't just, just do that coffee catch up. Mm. So if I look at my diary, pre baby, post baby, mm. um, I guess what's changed for me, and this isn't necessarily about having a baby. It's about pr how you prioritize your time. Um, is I have been far better at saying no and not filling my diary with stuff that I then later regret. So I am yeah. much, much, much better now at yeah. when someone approaches me about something, if I don't think it's the right fit or it's the right time or whatever, I'm much better at saying no. And I think actually in terms of self-care, that's one of the best things I've ever done because then it creates time for those micro moments of self-care. Um, so that's probably one of the better things. I think pre-baby, I was much more slack at oh well, you know they want to meet for a coffee and I didn't really want to say no and you know yeah. that sort of thing yeah absolutely there can be so much guilt attached to the word no and I love um I saw Naomi Simpson from Red Balloon speak uh once and she said to to us no is a statement you, you don't have to follow it up with some convoluted justification as to why you can't do something it's just like no and I thought, oh, my God, how empowering. This is brilliant. So I adopted that too. Yeah, nice. Yeah. So, Abby, how can people get in contact with you? Yeah, the best way to go is probably uh, LinkedIn or our website. So LinkedIn, it's um, Abby White, and I'm sure you'll put sort of a reference to it in the show notes. Yeah. And the website is salesredefined.com.au. I am, whilst I say I say no, I do actually have very much an open door in terms of, you know, <laughs> feel free to contact me, have a chat. Um, and, you know, we will always be really, really honest with people if they reach out to us and say, look, here's what how um, here's what we believe you can do. Here's um, the best next steps for you. And we'll just sort of have a really open, honest chat about whether we can or can't help. Or, and even if we can't, we'll just give people a few um, little tips to send them on their way and things that they can sort of get stuck into and implement immediately um, just to help help set them on the right track. 
Amazing. Thank you. Yes, and I will share all the links with the show notes. Um, so there is one question I love to finish on, which is, you know, this podcast is called Making It Count. I would love to, if you could share with us how you feel that you're making it count in your world. Oh, that's a really lovely question. I think for me in my world, making it count is I, one of the things I love most about what we do is when people come up to us and go, oh my God, Abby, I was allergic to sales and I just, you know, had an aversion to sales and I just didn't feel I could do it. And then they feel empowered that we've given them a way to actually approach sales, but in their own style, true to themselves, not salesy, no used car salesman tactics. And then they start doing it and they start getting amazing results. And what I love about that is they're not spending a million dollars on Facebook ads. They're not doing this crazy strategy. They're not even going overseas into export markets. They're just purely changing their mindset. And what I love about that is that it makes me emotional actually talk about it. It's that aha moment when you see a shift in someone mm. and you know that that mindset shift isn't just about sales. It's about so much more than sales because that actually is what's going to translate the business into the business that you want it to be and where you want it to go. And you've just got out of your own way and removed those barriers. So I think there's a lot of empowerment that comes from that. And that for me is what, you know, we work with all different types of clients, but those sorts of ones are the most rewarding ones to watch. And I think that counts. Yeah, absolutely. I got goosebumps when you were sharing that. So thank you so much for sharing and uh, for being part of the podcast today. Thank you for having me on. I've really enjoyed it and love your work and what you're doing. There's a lot of sort of um, great sort of collaboration there. So thank you very much for having me. Thanks, Abby. Thanks for listening. And I hope that you have gained some great ideas and feel inspired to get out there and make what you do count for your leadership, your business and your life. Please do leave a review for this podcast and please share it with your network. Send any feedback or suggestions for future guests by emailing me, julie at juliehide.com.au. For now, let's get out there and make it count.